Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TV brand now launching Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Quick flip out here to Dalvin Cook. He has some room. First down inside the 10. Touchdown. Nice looking drive for the Vikings here. Down by seven. Good protection again. Cousins fires wide open. Touchdown. Stephon Diggs. Tony Brooke. Intercepted. Tony Durr. That was right into his hands. That's a long throw, and it looked like it was intercepted. Let's see who comes up with the ball. It is Gopher football. Picked off by Chris Williamson. Another turnover for a rabid bunch of Gophers. Latavius Murray is the running back. Take the hand of Cousins rolling. Chased by Matthews, fired, that'll be a first down and more, and Thielen, can he get in? Yes, touchdown. But this now gives Zimmer a chance to dial up, knowing what they're going to do with their protection. Third and 13. Rodgers, pressure, down he goes at the 12-yard line. Big time pressure, Pavani could almost smell it with the changes up front. There are new axe handlers on the move, Minnesota. Claims Paul Bunyan's axe for the first time in 15 years. These are moments and memories you'll remember forever. They're not going to remember what we did on third and two, and what inside zone play we ran, or what fourth down we converted. They're going to remember that locker room. They're going to remember that field. They're going to remember running to get the axe. You know, I'm, I'm a big, per, I'm a big believer in visualization, and uh, they visualized this, and, and they went out there and did what they had to do. Really good team win tonight. Um, you know, we moved the ball effectively, offensively. Um, you know, I thought uh, Flip called a good game. Um, players executed. We're 50% on third downs. Uh, we got good pressure on the quarterback, and um, you know, we, I thought we played well. So overall, it was a very good team win, and uh, we needed it. Enjoy it, Minnesota. Research by Michael Rand of the Star Tribune today that I saw StarTribune.com shows the Gophers and Vikings, Manny Hill. Never before had a Saturday-Sunday sweep of the Badgers and Packers before this weekend. Now, the Vikings did beat Green Bay, the Packers on a Thursday, and then the Gophers beat the Badgers way back on a Saturday in 1994, which, of course, is the last time the Gophers won in Madison, Wisconsin, in football. From 1966 to 73, the Gophers were 6-2 against the Badgers, and the Vikings were 12-4 against the Packers, according to Rand's research. 
They twice shared a weekend, and in both cases, the Vikings won, but the Gophers lost in that span in 1966 and 70. This calls what we saw on Saturday and Sunday. For all of you that think I'm Mr. Negative and don't care, this calls for celebration, and not one negative word is going to cross my lips during the course of this segment. Not one. You've got the Axe back here for the first time since 2003. And as I said, the first time since 1994 that you went to Madison and took it. Mm-hmm. And this was not an eked out victory. This was domination of the Badgers. Now you say to yourself, well, but Judd tweeted on Saturday that this is a down year for the Badgers. But for the sake of this segment, that was a win over a perennial power that we saw on Saturday. Mm-hmm. A team that was ranked fourth in the Associated Press preseason poll in the Wisconsin Badgers. As for the Vikings, they made Aaron Rodgers' life miserable. Now, did Mike McCarthy make a stupid decision on fourth and inches to run up the middle? <laughs> for the sake of this segment, that was a dominating defensive performance, and Kirk Cousins outplayed a Hall of Fame quarterback for the first time ever on a Saturday and Sunday when you played the Wisconsin Badger football team and the Green Bay Packers, you swept. Congratulations. Congratulations. Enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Gopher fans, I think, are probably enjoying it a a bit more. But that was an impressive weekend of football. And I'm not shocked the Gophers won, but how the Gophers won was really surprising. They did did to, to Wisconsin what we've seen the Badgers do how many times to the Gophers, let's say, in the last 10 years. Yeah, they controlled the football game from start to finish. And admittedly, I didn't, I wasn't super intrigued with watching the Gophers and Badgers play on Saturday. And then I saw that they were up, that the Gophers were up 10 to nothing. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's see how this goes. And I turned it on and then they had the punt return to make it 17 nothing. And I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. This is, this is pretty good. And this was different from, when they were up 17 to 6 a couple of years ago with a chance to go to the Big 10 championship game in at uh, Camp Randall this was a dominant performance by a defense that has completely turned things around in the last few weeks and the Gophers should be applauded for that PJ Fleck deserves a lot of credit for that he made the change with defensive coordinators and it's made a world of difference and they went in there and look Wisconsin it's a down year for the Badgers but it's not a terrible Wisconsin team. It's just not as good as the teams that we've grown so accustomed to seeing. When you watch how Joe was able to be able to take our defense, um, dissect it, see who what, what we're all doing well. He basically did a whole year self, self-scout within a week when we went into the Purdue game. Um, a whole self-scout of everything. What do we have to do? Personnel probably didn't sleep for days. Uh, has, has a newborn son at home and found a way to be able to do that. And I think our players are playing for them. For him, I don't think I have ever seen that quick of turnaround by defense or, or offense as what this team transitioned to after the Illinois game, where they were absolutely destroyed by a bad team. Yeah, offensively, Illinois moved up and down the field, and it was embarrassing. Got lovely an extension, and somehow. It, it did, yeah. <laughs> and and so it was after that game that Fleck fired his DC and hired Joe Rossi to run the defense. And Manny, I don't believe that I have ever seen a unit morph that quickly from looking that bad. And you, 
We said on this show that has to be some coaching. I didn't know how much, but mm-hmm. there's no way. They looked so incompetent up to that Illini game and through that game that you said to yourself, this has to be some coaching. And as uh, Chip Scoggins, who's going to join us next segment, also pointed out, the defense wasn't really that young. But that group looked fantastic. Now, on Saturday, I will fully admit, and this is not a negative, but I will fully admit that when the Badgers moved down the field and scored that touchdown, that I thought to myself at the end of the first half, Mm -hmm. this could be some trouble. Because you just sort of wait as someone who's followed the Gophers for a long time. You just sort of wait at that point for the next shoe to drop. But instead, it didn't at all. And... What really stood out to me about the golfers in the second half of that game was they dominated the football. That wasn't a fluke. Yeah. That was not a fluke. They, It's not as if they got this pop-up great game from their quarterback. They didn't. He managed the game just fine. He played well. Mm-hmm. But they dominated that football, and they made Wisconsin look awful in Wisconsin. And yeah. I'm trying to think of, forget the Badgers, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw the Gophers do that to a team where they physically just manhandled that team because they did that. They did that consistently, and there came a point in time there in the second half where you thought to yourself, Wisconsin's not getting the ball back. They're just not going to. Yeah. I The only other time I could think of was when they whooped up on Nebraska a couple of years ago. Right? Like when they Nebraska came here, and I, yeah. I can't remember what yeah. the final score. It was like 54 to might, 20 yeah. or something and like that. And that was a terrible Nebraska but team that was in a that bad case. Nebraska but you're team. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of the last time the Gophers just dominated like an actual good football team. Now, this, like I said before, this was not a great Wisconsin team this year, but. No, but because the, of the segment, but, the segment's positive. Right. And, and you know what? This was still a Wisconsin team that a lot of people thought was going to be in the college football playoff at the start of the season. They were, what, preseason number four, I think? Yeah, in the AP poll, yes. So this was not a bad Wisconsin team. It just wasn't as good as what we've been grown accustomed to seeing over the last 20, 25 years. Yep. But that was, it looked like, it looked like a really good scheme and game plan was in place for that football game on Saturday. And P.J. Fleck deserves a ton of credit for that. That, of course, as you just said, was on Saturday. On Sunday, the Vikings win. And the best part about the Vikings win is they beat the Packers, of course. And when the Packers lose, we like to go here. Go, Pack, go! I think that it was a mistake that we signed Aaron Rodgers to his contract early on because you could have had Mac. When I know you wanted that montage for that day or two with the show, which I agree with you that we could have signed Mac and we could have had a, a nice deal with that. There is no need that we should have signed Rodgers. And I don't know who's better, Gary. Is Rodgers a better magician or as far as all the interceptions that he threw? Because right now, with, with the way Rodgers stole the Green Bay's money at that hunt, that $200 million contract, that's what I call it. It's not right. I'll hang up and listen. And by the way, you're paying the guy $170 million to be Superman. And whether it was this year or last year or the year before, he hasn't been. Go, Pat, go! I really hate the Vikings and Vikings fans. And I, I don't want the Packers to go to the playoffs this year because they're just going to lose in the first round. Maybe get in the second round, but they're not going anywhere. And God forbid they retain McCarthy. You know, I wanted them to beat the Vikings because... 
we're not going anywhere this year, but I wanted to screw them over, and I didn't want to stop them from getting the playoffs and embarrass them in front of their fans. And I would hope that the players would see, would feel the same way, and they don't. But I wanted to put the Vikings in their place because I hate them, and I want to see that same sort of passion from the players and the coaches, and I didn't even get that. You know, that's, that's my take from the game. Uh, well, I just think, I mean, there are a lot of things that irritate me about this team, but I think most of all, um, Rodgers just not getting to the line on offense, like that's something that's just completely in his control, something he talked about in the press this week, and instead it's completely lackadaisical, and we run it down to one second almost every time, um, kind of just rubs off on the entire offense. So at least for the second consecutive week, the problems of the Green Bay Packers all fall on the shoulders of one guy, and it's not the guy that called for the run into the A-gap against the Minnesota Bleepin' Vikings. No, it's not Mike McCarthy. Aaron Rodgers. It was a mistake. Enjoy enjoy this weekend if you are a Gopher or Viking fan, for sure. But really enjoy the spiraling (laughs) death right now of the Packers. Because in this league, things can change quickly. And I think Aaron Rodgers is ultimately, Manny Hill, going to be just fine and bounce back and have a new head coach in 2019. And it's not going to uh, be the same as it is. But if you're a Viking fan, you have to love this. And it is astounding. But somehow, as we talked about after the, uh, the Thursday night loss a week ago against Seattle, somehow Packer fans have now turned the corner to, as a collective group, a lot of them are blaming their quarterback. This is, the Packers are beat up. Right now, they're poorly coached. They just are. They've got problems. Is Aaron Rodgers playing as well as he possibly can? Absolutely not. But you know what? That's a pretty good defense that he went against last night. And the Vikings look good. And Kirk Cousins. Now, we can talk all we want about play action last night and about the fact that uh, that Kirk is now 5 and 12 in primetime games. Here is it's so simple. Here is the key statistic when it comes to Cousins. And the fact was the Vikings and after a week of criticism of uh, offensive coordinator John DeFilippo had definitely had a better game plan last night. But the most important statistic when it comes to Kirk Cousins is this. For the third time this season in a game, and not surprisingly, the Vikings are 3-0 and in these games, Kirk Cousins did not turn over the football. And that's the most important thing. He did not fumble. He did not throw a pick. He secured the, the football. And if you want to call it managing the game, he threw for 342 yards, which is fantastic. But whatever you want to call it, if he doesn't turn the football over, the Vikings are going to have a chance to win. Let's take a break. Uh, come back. Chip Scoggins, who joins us in studio on Thursdays. He was in Madison. He will join us next to put some perspective on uh, the big football weekend and the Badgers bowing to the golfers for the first time in Madison since 1994. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic quickly here. Uh, Just one crash to tell you about right now. That's on 394 eastbound uh, heading into downtown Minneapolis. Uh, That crash is between Dunwoody Boulevard and 94, and it may uh, cause an extra few minutes on your commute if you're headed that way. So be on the lookout for that, Judd. 
There are new axe handlers on the move. Minnesota claims Paul Bunyan's axe for the first time in 15 years. These are moments and memories you'll remember forever. They're not going to remember what we did on third and two and what inside zone play we ran or what fourth down we converted. They're going to remember that locker room. They're going to remember that field. They're going to remember running to get the axe. You know, I'm, I'm, a big per, I'm a big believer in visualization. And uh, they visualized this, and, and they went out there and did what they had to do. All right. Chip Scoggins, Minneapolis Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, joins us now. Chipper was in Madison for uh, the Gophers' first victory in that city since 1994. Let's start with this one, sir. You, you've covered this program for a long time now. Where mm-hmm. where does what we saw on Saturday rank among the significant Gopher victories that you have uh, witnessed in your time, first on the beat and then obviously as a columnist? Yeah, I, I would say up there, Judd. I mean, obviously, uh, it, you know, everybody's pointed out that this is a disappointing year for Wisconsin, and I don't think you can discredit that. I mean, anytime uh, you can go on the road and, and beat a rival, that's obviously big. Um as I've seen the Gophers in person win the Little Brown Jug uh, against Michigan twice. Anytime you can win at Michigan, whether they're good, bad, and different, you don't scoff at that. And I, I tried to point that out. There was a, I think it was Jerry Kills. I can't remember what year it was, but they went into Michigan, and they were the better team. Michigan was down. I can't remember. It might have been Brady Hoke who was coaching them then. And people were like, ah, oh, this is a terrible Michigan team. I was like, do you really expect the Gophers to apologize for for, the, for Michigan being bad. No, when you're the Gophers and you win a game like that, you don't. I don't think it uh, deserves an asterisk at all. And so it, it was a big moment because PJ needed something to give fans uh, a glimmer of legitimacy to what he's saying and trying to build credibility in terms of hey, this thing is turning the right way. Uh, so forget where Wisconsin is. They needed something for people to feel good about their program because this has been a disappointing, tough season for a lot of reasons, and for them to be able to end it on that way and, and, and also get a, the bowl bid, but just to get some positive momentum in the program, I, I think is an important moment for them. And Chip, I think what was impressive was there was nothing about this that was flukish. There was nope. nothing about it where, where you said, well, one kid had a great day, and they won, and that's great, but it feels like a fluke. They essentially, in my mind, went into Wisconsin and did what the Badgers have done to them for 20 years now, 25 yeah, it, years. It, yeah, it was sort of a taste of their own mess, and they were more physical on both lines. They ran the ball. The turnover margin was 4 to nothing. I mean, they had four turnovers. Didn't turn the ball over. They didn't have many penalties. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot. And there was a couple – uh, instances there where I kept waiting because it felt like the, the game could turn at any point. They give up that kind of, uh, you know, just touchdown at the end of the first half where they're playing prevent and, and Wisconsin drives down and scores. And then they're getting the ball to start second half, Judd. I'm like, all right, if they score here, Wisconsin's going to win. Well, they stopped them. There was a point later on where they fumbled a kickoff or a punt, and uh, one of the Gophers players tried to scoop it and score, and he didn't get it. Wisconsin recover, and they started driving a little bit, and you're thinking, okay, if they score there, that's going to be a pivotal point where it could have been different. But they didn't. They got an interception that thing. So every time it felt like that game was going to slip away from them or maybe turn in, in Wisconsin's favor, they made a big play. And so they're, they're, you're right. There was absolutely no fluky things going on with that game. They were just they were better prepared. They were more physical, and they played a cleaner game. 
Chip, I'm still amazed at the turnaround that we've seen from this defense in the last uh, four games is is just the 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 difference that we've seen and the the sound football that they're playing now on that side of the ball it, it's like how how did this happen so quickly how could it have just been as simple as changing the coordinator um and promoting a coordinator that was already there like i i just i i'm i'm yeah. just amazed at this complete turnaround yeah manny it's definitely an indictment on rob smith's coaching for sure i mean yeah. there's no other way to to describe it because when you talk about an about face, that Illinois performance, there was a lot of bad ones leading up to it, but that was historically bad. Like one of the worst things you've ever seen from a defense that day. And it felt like a point of no return. And then for them to play look completely different than the next three games where they're organized, guys are in the right spot, they're tackling, they seem like they know what they're doing. You know, can one coach make – make that much difference obviously pj felt that way because he, he took the interim tag off of uh off, off his idol in in the locker room um but it, you know i think what he likes about joe rossi is just the way he simplified things they weren't trying to be too complicated uh which i think was a problem under rob smith and he just had had those players in the right spots to make plays now we'll see if that continues in the next year but Man, it, that is a major about face, and I, it's hard to explain that a team or one unit can look that bad all season, and then just like one, you know, one personnel uh, decision, a light switch goes on. So, it, it, you know, we, but we said that all along, Manny. They had players on that defense that are not freshmen. They had guys yeah. that had success under Tracy Clays. They've had guys that have been have played at a high level, and so. To come back to keep saying, oh, we're young, we're young, it didn't really apply with the defense. And so you knew something was there. They just weren't getting it out of them, and Joe Rossi did. Have the Gophers, in your mind, Chip Scoggins, found their quarterback? Well, it's interesting. I, I, I like Tanner Morgan a lot, but I think the competition continues. And I, I wrote this for Saturday, Judd, that I don't think – going into this year, what was the number one thing to me was they've got to figure out if, if either of these quarterbacks – can be someone they can go with long term, or they're gonna have to start over again next year because they're bringing in a highly thought of uh, recruit from Texas. But looking at the way both of those guys played, I don't think you have to start over at all uh, with a true freshman next year, unless this guy comes in and just blows the doors off and he's, he's the greatest thing ever. Then it's easy. But I think there's enough upside from both Anixet and Morgan. Um, there's something there. You saw the potential that yeah, you don't start over just build on that and I think internally Anixted they like his size probably has a better arm maybe has a higher upside but Tanner Morgan he gave the, the offense a spark he has better mobility and I think he has a better grasp of the system because he's been in a year longer so it's going to be an interesting competition going into spring ball and then fall camp and to see who their starter is next year but you're you're getting Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks back that wide receiver core is going to be really, really good. They got a pass catching tight end that uh, is red shirted that they really like, and so I think this offense has a chance to be pretty darn good next year. So, Chip, they're going to a bowl game. We're going to find out soon when, what that bowl game is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. But, but looking forward now into next year, have the expectations changed a little bit more because of Saturday, or are they about the same in that we just want to see? more growth and more development of this program 
Yeah, I don't think they changed many because I, I think the bar was going to have to be raised anyway in year three. Yeah, because you you've had a couple of recruiting classes, you've played a lot of young guys. I don't think they were going to PJ was going to be able to come back next year and say, "Ah, we're really young." You know, no, I think the bar was going to raise anyways. Now, I think you uh, for fans, there's more excitement now because this is what they've been waiting on for 15 years uh, to beat Wisconsin, and so. And, and, and the manner in which they did it, I think you you saw, all right, this offense has a chance to score a lot of points. And the defense, which is going to return a lot of guys, and they're going to be very old next year when you look at uh, how they are across the board in terms of the you know juniors and seniors. Um, I, I think the expectations will raise, and I hope they raise internally too because the recruiting is getting better. They're going to bring in another you know, I don't know if it's top thirty, top twenty-five, whatever recruiting class, but you're going to bring in better uh, athletes in this class, and so yeah, I think if you're building this thing the right way, you want to see them take another step and go to a better bowl next year. Be maybe be contend uh, more of a legitimate contender in the West, and, and you know, take that next step. I think that absolutely should be the expectation. So, Chip, if they do take that step, what do you think is a, a fair prediction on wins for 2019? Oh boy! I, without looking at the schedule, you won six this year. Why? Why can't you be talking about eight? You know, I mean, it, sure. I I would have liked to seen what happened. Obviously, Fleck picked the wrong defense coordinator. I think that's painfully obvious now. If they would have had Joe Rossi the whole time, with the with the uh, record would have been different. I think probably so. You know, and so you know, why not eight nine wins? I mean, that should be the target. If you won six this year and with a a defense that was just atrocious for six of the Big Ten games. Why not, uh, you know, shoot higher than than six wins and say, hey, this team. There's no reason why they can't, you know, contend in the, in the West because the West is not the, you know, is is not. It's not great. Uh, You're right. It's not great, and it's going to fluctuate year to year. Now, I do think this: if Purdue keeps Jeff Rom, I think the West is going to get a lot more competitive because Scott Frost is going to do a good job at Nebraska. Jeff Brown's a really good coach. Pat Fitzgerald's a good coach. So I think the West is going to get a lot more competitive because you have young coaches that are building programs and they're doing it through recruiting. So the West is going to get a lot more competitive the next three, four years. Thanks, Chip Scoggins. All righty, boys. Have All right, talk to you. Yep, Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune sports columnist. Check out his work, uh, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. And as he said, he will be in studio from a 3 to 4 o'clock on Thursday. We are in the TCL Broadcast Studios. We're going to transition next from uh, Gopher Talk to Viking Talk. Courtney Cronin, and ESPN joins the program. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've had to date. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, then. On 1500 ESPN. Quick flip out here to Dalvin Cook. He has some room. First down, inside the 10, touchdown. You know, when you hold the football in your hands, you hold the the livelihoods of a lot of people in that building and, and their families. And, um, you know, it has to matter to us. And as, you know, one coach told me many times, you know, Ball security is job security, you know, yours and mine. And so uh, it's very important to take care of the football. Well, we moved the ball well, I thought, you know, and I thought we kept them off balance. You know, we ran a rocket sweep for a first down. You know, there was a bunch of times we, I, I felt like we were keeping them off balance. They blitzed us and we had extra protection in there one time. Um, you know, just the flow of the game, I felt like it was a, uh, a good uh, mixture. Oh my God. 
Courtney Cronin, the screen game lives. It's alive. It's allowed in the NFL. Everything is fine. Nothing to see now. It's all working perfect. Cousins is protecting the football. The Vikings are running screens. DiFilippo's coming up with great game plans. The screen game, it was the key. I mean, heck, I mean, I think you just spilled it out right there. This is a Super Bowl team from what you were describing. Um, I mean, yesterday was, this needed to happen at some point. They needed to ignite the screen game. They needed to show that they could do exactly what they did last year, uh, despite not having Nick Easton, despite not having Joe Berger. I mean, this offensive line can can get out and block at the second level. You saw how athletic Pat Elfline was on that 26-yard touchdown, uh, the screen pass to Dalvin Cook. In the block that he had, I mean, you saw Brian O'Neill pull all the way to the left side of the line on Dalvin Cook's run. They, I believe it was in the third quarter. Um, I mean, they, they can do things. They can get creative. They can. They, they've. They have the ability to run a lot of teams out of their own building. Um, it took a little bit longer than I think a lot of people were expecting last night, just given how bad some of the drives ended. Uh, in the first half, but they certainly got it together, and I think it was a lot of it was just going back to the basics. What worked for them so well? Running back screens. What also worked for them so well? Play action with Kirk Cousins. That's how three touchdowns were scored. Why do you think it took so long, and and also what seemed like at least a week of angst as well, though? I mean, they to your point, we knew what they could do well. That's not a surprise, and it seemed like there was a lot of gnashing of teeth and, and a lot of angst to go back to something that is pretty simple, and when they do it, they're productive. Well, I think a lot of it, too, I mean, it's you, you've heard the narrative from Mike Zimmer. He wants to, to run the ball more effectively, and you know, clearly with John Filippo's game plan, um, it's not predicated necessarily on having to have a 50-50 split between run and pass. Do what your players are good at, and when you have an offensive line that. It's, you know, very up and down. I mean, yesterday they looked good. They didn't look good going against elite opponents like the Saints, like the Bears, a lot of different, you know, teams like that, which, you know, we're probably going to be back to the same argument that we've been talking about the next two weeks when they have to play in New England and then again on the road in Seattle. But to be able to get the win that they needed when they got it, I mean, mathematically they weren't facing elimination, but it certainly felt like an elimination game. Um, you know, I think it was just important to, you know, do what they do and do it do it well. Like do what they do best because if you're trying to force something at this point in the season, now twelve weeks in, I mean it's just not gonna work. If it wasn't there early on, it's probably not gonna work now. And I think that, you know, Mike Zimmer backing off of the volume comments certainly, you know, alludes to that and you know, it's very much a read between the lines type season. I feel like there's been moments of that at other points, but you know, they did what they had to do to get this win. And Kirk Cousins played well. We can stop talking about him in prime time and if he's, you know, terrible or whatever. I mean, he still has a full and 12, 5 and 12 record now. But um, I think that we can certainly look at this thing and say, hey, they got the win that they needed to. It wasn't pretty at points, but they kept themselves afloat in the playoff race specifically by what they did on offense. Courtney, on Cousins, too, it, it, it seems like he was more willing to, to move around in the pocket a little bit more because one, one of my biggest criticisms of him or one of the things that he's been doing that's been driving me crazy is he, gets, he drops back and he gets so stationary. He doesn't step up in the pocket enough. He doesn't sense the pressure enough. Last night, it's, it seemed like he could sense the pressure that was coming. He was willing to step up and move around in the pocket a little bit. 
they moved him around and boot legs and put him in motion and, and let him make plays that way too. And and you could kind of see with the difference in the production of the offense too with that. Yeah, I, th- I think when you don't keep him in the same spot, he's more successful because it's very predictable when he drops back anywhere from you know seven and a half to nine yards deep. Um, defenses know how to exploit that. They know that the Vikings' offensive line are not going to hold their blocks for that long. Um, I think it puts a lot of pressure on what they have to do up front to protect Cousins. So it certainly helps Cousins not only you know execute and create plays for the rest of his offense, but it helps his offensive line. So the usage on play action, I mean, Kirk had um, a stat last night from ESPN Stats and Info where Kirk has had more explosive gains off of play action against the Packers than any other team in his career which uh, certainly says something about why they need to keep reverting back to that. I asked Mike Zimmer about it last week, and he said, yes, you know, short answer, yes, we do need to use play action more, uh, specifically because of the type of gains that you can get out of it. And it's no longer this adage that, you know, you need the run game to set up the to set up play action. I mean, that's such a dated concept where Kirk can run play action all he wants, and he doesn't need the run game support at all. I mean, there's been games where they run the ball more than 25 times, uh, to 25 yards total, and they can still utilize play action. What, in your mind, uh, was Mike McCarthy and were the Packers thinking? It's fourth and inches. <laughs> so, it's, okay, they're at the Green Bay 44, so I'm thinking to myself, this isn't really the smartest thing, but hey, you're being aggressive. Good for you. And then you're playing Mike Zimmer's defense, and your play call is the a gap run. You got to be, yeah. you got to be a moron. Yeah, I don't really know why teams want to run on Lindell Joseph and Sheldon yeah. Richardson. It's definitely um, a little weird. And I think that Sheldon had a great comment yesterday where he said, like, he, you know, they laugh when when teams try to attempt that because those are two of the best run stoppers in the NFL. Incredibly athletic guys, and Aaron Jones isn't going to go far when they try to run it up the gut on third and one. So I think with some of the fourth down play calling that you're referring to, it just kind of makes you shake your head. Like Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. Yeah, his receivers are young, and when plays break down, they're not really good at, you know, kind of compensating and moving down the field um, and being able to get open for Rodgers. But that's one thing. I still think that you have – one of the best, you have the best quarterback, in my opinion, in the NFL on your team, and you're not going to go for it on fourth down. I mean, it bit them in the behind yesterday. It certainly hurt them in Seattle. Um, and it just, you know, I know that you wrote this today, Jay, but it's, it's, he's, he's the lame, lame duckest of all lame duck coach coaches out there right now because yes. the writing's on the wall. I mean, for, for, for what's happened this year, and I know that there have been several, several articles, has, has an offense regressed or has it gotten more complicated to where they can't execute it because they don't have the strength to do it. You know, after, you know, they bring in Jimmy Graham, you know, has done what he's done this season, but they get rid of Jordy Nelson, they get rid of some other pieces, they have two young receivers. Um, I don't know that they have the full strength to be able to execute the full depth of the playbook, if that really is the case, but it certainly felt like that yesterday. It feels like this Packers team is all out of sorts. How close do you think Zim was to following through on his halftime, uh, what he told Tafoya, that Dan Bailey, after missing two field goals, Zim evidently told Tafoya, he will, I am going to, from now on, if we're in field goal range on fourth down, I am going to go for it. And the drive that we just talked about, they came off the fourth down that the Packers didn't make. He Zim obviously reconsidered and had Bailey kick yeah. the field goal. How close do you think though Zim was? Because I do contend if there's one group of people that Mike Zimmer truly hates in life, it's kickers. 
Yeah, they've, they've definitely not been his favorite people uh, to have on a football team. Um, you know, when, when Cousin gets sacked for that nine-yard loss, I'm, I think I wrote on Twitter, like, huh, looks like Dan Bailey's trotting out. I guess there was a change of heart. Yes. Um, it's fourth and 16. They're not going to – they can't be that, like, you know, uh, stubborn to go for it on, on, on fourth and 16. I mean, there's just no way. And that's a 37-yard field goal as is. I think Mike was frustrated. Um, he, he was. You could see him back on the broadcast yelling at the referees about, about trying to get that penalty – uh, for whoever that was that ran into Dan Bailey on the 51-yard attempt, because that's a 15-yard penalty. That moves that into, you know, the 41-yard 40, range. So that's important. Uh, I think that would have been a field goal had that had he gotten that um, play reversed. But it's a lot of frustration. He tried to clarify it after the game, said, you know, he really trusts Dan Bailey, <laughs> likes what he does. But I think that if it was closer – that he probably would have gone for it. I really do. But that was too far. That was you can't you can't take a gamble like that on points when no, you know, you're trying to go up 10, 10 on the Packers. I mean, you got to take them where you can get them. Although I would contend, in fact, here here is Zim post game on that. I would contend that Zim at his maddest probably could come very close to going for it. As stupid as that might be, here's his post game comment. I, I was frustrated, yeah, because I but. I was going to be aggressive in this ball game. Um, you know, I don't think you beat teams by being passive, and so I was I was going to be aggressive anyway. Uh, you know, we screwed up the you know it was fourth and that far the first first uh, part of the game on our own 45 yard line or something, and I was going to go for it there too. So, um, you know, I mean everyone was frustrated because he missed two kicks, but. Quite honestly, I have a lot of confidence in this kid. Uh, the second one, because we we fall started, it was 56-yarder. But I have a lot of confidence in this kid. You know, every day in practice he hits them, and and uh, and he he's got a good demeanor about him. I don't I don't doubt that. Yeah, that's code for I hate kickers right there. That's what that that is code for. I, I love- well, I mean, we saw how he handled the Daniel Carlson situation, and in, in my opinion, kind of set him up for failure for. Yes. Thing in the second quarter of that Seahawks uh, preseason game that he was going to go for two instead of um, you know let Dan if he's going to miss PATs then I'm going to go for two and well they actually didn't make the the two point conversion there before Quan Treadwell dropped the ball but um, so if you miss I'm going to miss two I don't know <laughs> I, I love that Dan Bailey's 30 years old and has been kicking in the NFL for almost a decade and Mike Zimmer is calling him I, I have faith in this kid. Like he's just yeah, like he, he just did, came he into the, the league last year. Newman. He did the same thing with Terrence Newman. Terrence Newman was forty years old, so that shouldn't surprise <laughs> but, anybody. But that's why that's why the Carlson pick was so baffling. The Carlson pick was baffling because Bailey gets it right. He's a veteran. He completely gets it. He's good, and and yet you you've got a coach ba- basically at some point in time threatening that he's not going to allow Bailey to kick. How is a 21-year-old or 22-year-old kid like Carlson supposed to process that? That's why I was yeah. always amazed. Uh, last thing for you, non-Vikings, Courtney Cronin. Your reaction to the long-overdue news that the Jacksonville Jaguars today benched Blake Bortles in favor of Cody Kessler. As Matthew Collar brought up on Twitter earlier, and I believe tagged you in the tweet as well, had we not talked about this at nauseum, during the joint practice week when we saw Blake Bortles out in practice against the Vikings defense, mind you, very good defense, but through two interceptions, I think Mike Hughes had an interception, Mackenzie Alexander had one, 
Um, he didn't throw the ball off of any of his offensive linemen's helmet in the preseason. He waited till I believe they played Denver to do that. So I mean, that's that's achieving. Uh, you know, <laughs> do it on the biggest stage possible. Yep. Um, the thing I don't understand, and this stresses me out, because I remember I was in Chicago. It was February 23rd, I want to say. It was a Saturday night, and all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up because I'm starting to see, like, Twitter alerts. I'm thinking, oh, free agency, even though it's you know still a few weeks away, the combine's not till this coming week. Uh, what's going on here? And the Jackson- Jacksonville Jaguars started this whole quarterback market in the offseason in motion on a Saturday night in the dead of February. Like, why didn't they at least attempt? to go after a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, hit the free agency market. Maybe Case Keenum would have been good down there. It really baffled me that they were so confident after a year last year where your defense won the season for you that Blake Bortles was getting this incredibly lucrative deal that now they're absolutely screwed over because they have, they, if they cut him, it's like $15.4 million that um, they owe him. So they're basically in a situation that, uh, it's kind of similar to the way Brock Osweiler was handled, you know, once he had to leave um, Denver. So, I mean, it's tough. I don't understand why they did it. I think it was a boneheaded move, but nobody is surprised that this happened. Not at all. And Doug Marone's job is safe, correct? I don't know. That's the report that. I saw on I mean, Sunday. I, th- I think it was from your guy Schefter was reported Doug Marone, who Collar thinks is a complete blithering idiot, his job is safe. Like, what, well, what are they doing? I mean, I don't cover the Jaguars, so I'm not really that locked in on oh, what's going on down there. But you think that... There, come on, Conan, hold on. There. Football! We talk all football here. Come on, got to eat. I'm looking at a 3-18 and that has highly underachieved with a defense there. that has regressed. More like it. Players fighting each other out there in games. I think that he kind of lost control of this entire locker room. I have to, you have to pin the blame somewhere. Um, you know, and if he was vouching for bringing Blake Bortles back to this team on an extension and back in February, then he would be the one in my mind that would have to go. Thanks, Cronin. Talk to you next week. Thanks, guy. Take Bye. Care. Courtney Cronin, check out her work, ESPN.com. Uh, she does a fantastic job. Of course, she covered last night's uh, Viking victory over the Packers. Go, Pack, go! I'm just calling to maybe offer a little insight. I know this probably isn't true, but what if it is? Maybe Rodgers hates McCarthy so much that he is throwing the season because I just don't see any other explanation as to how he's missing these wide-open throws um, weeks in a row. It's almost like he's going rogue on purpose to send a message like, look, this isn't going to work. we got to bring somebody else in. I don't know that somebody would go that far professionally like with his numbers on the line, but it almost feels like that's the only explanation. We was coming into the season looking and thinking that Aaron Rodgers was going to galvanize this team to be 10-6 and on the 5, and he just, you know, he went to bed this year. You know, and those last two throws was a microcosm of, of that. He went to bed this year, and um, he's going to find a way to point blame and, and all of these things, but, you know, a lot of the blame should be directed to Aaron Rodgers. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? <laughs> it's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. 
All right, quick check on traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 100 northbound, we've got a crash uh, in St. Louis Park between Cedar Lake Road and 394, causing an extra couple of minutes to your commute. Otherwise, everything else moving uh, fairly smoothly for a Monday afternoon, Judd. There are new axe handlers on the move. Minnesota claims Paul Bunyan's axe for the first time in 15 years. Mackie to join us shortly here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Today's 1500 ESPN Twitter poll of the day for the Mackie and Judd show is this. What does the Gophers win this weekend do for your expectations for the program? Here are your four choices. Doesn't mean a thing yet. Big Ten West contenders, 2019 Big Ten contenders, and the final one from our guy Jonathan is simply, we want Bama. Okay, I'd eliminate that one very quickly and say that's not very realistic. But does this, and and I think that's the important question here, and I tried to pose this as more of a statement on Twitter after the game on Saturday and immediately got feedback from people telling me to enjoy the victory and why are you you going there, Judd, and we hate you. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. I can take it. It's Thanksgiving and I can take it. Mm -hmm. But um, I believe what I said was, Yes, this is a down Wisconsin team, but this is a really impressive win. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it can lead to, I think I phrased it for the purposes of Twitter and the characters you're allowed, it can lead to consistent Big Ten victories. And I got back a note saying, well, what does consistent even mean? And to me, consistent means you win Big Ten games. Yeah. Uh, PJ Fluck, I think, has only won five Big Ten games in two years. Saturday was his first Big Ten road win. And so my point is, okay, you might not beat the Buckeyes. You might not beat Michigan. But beat Northwestern at home. You should. They're a good team, but you should beat them. Beat Illinois. Does, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. I, I mean, yeah. Nebraska, absolutely. But does this turn a corner now? Or is this going to be something that we look back on next December and say, well, that was fun that day, but. Right. And I, I don't know yet, but I do believe. And I've said this a thousand times, and I'll, I'll say it again because I keep being accused of being a gopher basher. I think P.J. Fleck, I think the kids buy into to his shtick. Now, I don't really care, but I think the kids do, and that's what's important there. And I think the man can coach offense. Mm-hmm. I think he made a terrible hire at defensive coordinator, and I don't think he corrected that mistake quickly enough, but he's corrected it now. And there is no reason if you take the team that won on Saturday— and and you take the team that beat Purdue, lost to Northwestern, and beat Wisconsin. If you take that defense and go back to the Illinois game or the Nebraska game or the Maryland game, I think you got a very good chance to win those games. Win all of those games. That's what I want. That's what I consider consistent. I just I'm just curious as to and for all the people that were going after you on Twitter on, on Saturday after the game, I'm just curious as to what what are people looking for with this program? Because for me, as somebody who grew up cheering for this program and wanting them to win and wanting them to do well and was heartbroken over the Michigan loss and all of that stuff back in 03, I, I, I loved Saturday. It was fun. It was great. Oh, I'm t- but, thousand percent with you. But as I'm watching them take care of the Badgers, I'm thinking, okay, now now let's build on this. You got six wins. You're going to a bowl game. Let's win the bowl game. Let's look ahead to next year. Let's build upon what you finished this season strong with. 
Let's yeah. build on it. What's wrong with thinking that? I don't understand what's wrong with thinking that. Because I think a lot of people wanted to take a deep breath and say, this is fantastic, it's great, let's not concern ourselves but with that. But you can feel that and that's, way. Yeah, you can and, still feel that way, but also say, hey, all right, this is awesome, let's build on it. And don't you think that if you are PJ Fleck or Mark Coyle, that you are saying exactly that? Yes. Which is, let's turn this corner. I mean, the Star Tribune had a frightening story about the lack of people in the stands at TCF Bank Stadium all year long. Well, Saturday can help that, but let's say you continue to have success, then for sure you get more people. So you can't just say, well, that victory felt good, and now I don't know what's going to happen. That victory needs to result in something. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, it's a disappointment. So once again, the uh, 1500 ESPN Twitter poll, what does the Gophers win this weekend do for your expectations for the program? 53% saying doesn't mean a thing yet. 32% saying Big Ten West contenders. 4% saying 2019 Big Ten contenders, just period. 11% want Bama. I got bad news for you. No, you don't. Mackie joins next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokely. On 1500 ESPN. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.